don't think I don't have my eye on the culture. I'm paying attention to these um, music battles and DJ battles and producer battles and song battles. I think it's a really great time uh, for the culture, and I hope everybody is staying safe and uh, really taking this time to to heal, to gain further understanding, and of course, making sure that they're listening to the right content. Whoever has your ear has your heart. So make sure that the people that you are listening to have your best interest in mind. What we try to do on our platform is make sure that we're giving you a diverse perspective on the culture from many walks of life. You're not going to see us have the same person on every single week and have our regulars. Now, of course, people are welcome to come back and continue the conversation, but we have to elevate from where we were before. So I want you to make sure you are choosing your podcast and your YouTube channels and the TV channels and the movies and all the content that you are taking in. It is important that you understand what you are digesting because food for thought becomes your way of life. So you have to know what you are partaking in. With that said, we have a very special episode with you today, and we are going to uh, talk about African luxury brands. I think this is going to be truly enlightening. It's going to bless your heart and uh, elevate the game once again. If you want access to content like this, you need to sign up for Black Equity Premium. This is a Black Equity Premium sneak preview. If you want access to uh, capital, uh, investment opportunities, strategic partnerships, you need to text Black Equity to the number that we have listed in the show notes. You, If you haven't been doing this, you are missing out. I don't want you to miss out. You've been listening every time we have an episode. The the hundreds and thousands of people that are listening to our content have been listening consistently. So you need to be taking in the fruits of everything that we've been planning. You've gotten the roots, all these episodes, all these different things that we've been building for the last year and a few months are the roots. Now it's time for you to reap the fruits. And you're going to get that by being a Black Equity Premium member by coming on over to Patreon and getting the exclusive content. We have so much stuff coming out every single Friday over at Black Equity Premium. You do not want to miss this. You don't want to miss all the great opportunities that we are sending out to our digital network members. They are receiving uh, access to capital ideas. They're receiving strategic partnership ideas. Whenever there's discounts on major uh, opportunities, we're sending that out. Why would you want to miss that? Now, I want you to dive into this episode and really take it in. Um, This is an opportunity for you to take your mind off of all the bad news out there. What we're going to do on this platform is we're going to keep educating. We're going to keep giving you access to a different way of thinking and give you that high-end luxury-level thinking, black wealth on a higher level. So I want you to go ahead and enjoy this episode and take in the wisdom of understanding African luxury brands. I'm DJ Motree of the Black Equity Network, and welcome to your Black Equity Premium Sneak Preview. Let's go.
Welcome to another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. I'm definitely excited about this conversation. I love when we get to have that international global talk on the podcast because it allows us to see how far our culture really uh, is stretching. Uh, On the line, we have Amira Rasul. Amira, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, you're, you're definitely welcome. For those who don't know who you are, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Okay. My name is Amira Rasul. I'm the founder and CEO of The Folklore. So we are a supply chain and distribution company that delivers luxury African designers to global customers. So we work with right now over 30, 30 brands from across the continent, the Ivory Coast, Morocco. We have Ghana as well, and we're expanding into East Africa soon. And we also have, you know, about 10% of our brands that are based between the U.S. and the U.K. and uh, also Canada. So we actually have an e-commerce site, shopthefolklore.com, where you can actually go and purchase these luxury contemporary brands. And then we also work with these brands in a wholesale capacity where we're helping them get into larger retail stores and helping them increase their global footprint. Oh, this is so exciting. I'm so excited that you are on the show today because I know there's going to be a lot of wisdom that we can learn uh, from your journey. The first thing that stands out to me is where did all this start? Like, how did you know that you wanted to be in this space? Was it, was it something you chose or did it choose you? So it, it's kind of both. So I always tell people it started from my freshman year of high school when I just knew I wanted to be an architect and that was just my thing. Okay. And then I failed my algebra class freshman year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I knew that, you know, I couldn't just be out here drawing up lopsided buildings. So I, (laughs) so I think that. Thank you for sparing us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like there's enough of these little tenement buildings in New York. You don't need another one coming up. So I said, okay, well maybe architecture is not my thing and then I said okay well I'll get into interior design and then I always loved fashion so my sister actually told me why don't you just start a blog and that was when everybody had a blog spot and so I started you know doing uh, blogging and going to New York Fashion Week when I like skip school and go hang out there and interview people and so that's when I really got a knack for like journalism and fashion journalism in particular so I I was telling everybody I was going to be the editor-in-chief of Vogue and that was kind of like my trajectory so even going into college, I went to Rutgers, but all of my internships were all in New York. I actually lived in New York and commuted back to Rutgers. Okay. Uh, so I was always interning. So I interned at Women's Wear Daily. I interned at Mary Claire, The Fader, V Magazine. So all of these, you know, top-notch fashion magazines. And I was just really interested in telling stories, not only just fashion stories, but how fashion is intertwined with culture and music and specifically black fashion stories because my undergraduate degree is actually in african-american studies so i've wow. always been really really passionate about you know highlighting our people and, and find different ways to you know make sure that they are highlighted in the proper way especially when you don't have a lot of people of color on staff at these magazines and knowing that you know i'm the one who's representing the people and then making sure that i'm doing in uh, a fair and prosperous way. So when I graduated from Rutgers, I ended up working full-time at V Magazine as their fashion coordinator. And I just realized I wasn't really the type of person who was supposed to work for anyone. Right, um, right, right. I always had like an entrepreneur spirit to me. I had an e-commerce website when I was in college that I ran for two years where I was going to thrift stores, buying things for $5 and selling them online for 40 <laughs> I called it Midnight Marauders. I was a okay. big Tribe fan. So right, I named right. it after the album. 
And I did that for two years. I really liked that. Uh, and then when I was thinking about different things that I wanted to do, I reflected on the time that I went to South Africa just a few months prior to graduating. Right. I went with my friend Sophia and, and Kiyomi just on vacation for two weeks. We ran around Johannesburg and Cape Town and I just really fell in love and saw all of these like promise there in terms of like artists and culture and music. So, you know, thinking about, okay, the next step is for me to start my own thing. I have this background in fashion and, and content uh, production and storytelling. I'm really passionate about, you know, economically uplifting uh, people across the continent and the diaspora. And then I really enjoyed this e-commerce thing. And it also gave me the freedom that I needed to be able to travel, you know, cause I've been to, you know, 15 plus countries and that's something that I'm really passionate about. So I want it to be able to be mobile with wh whatever I'm doing. Gotcha. So I actually quit my job at V Magazine and moved to Cape Town, South Africa to start the folklore. And so I lived out there for two years and I was able to do that because I applied for a master's program at the University of Cape Town. So wow. while I was building the company, I was working on my master's in African studies there. Dope, dope. And so, you know, I, I graduated uh, from that program in December and I launched the folklore in the, the year before that in September, 2018. So really balancing, you know, a master's program um, and then also started writing for Vogue and Glamour and, T and Time Magazine and really building up, you know, my reputa reputation as someone who you tap for fashion and culture stories that really, you know, focus on Black fashion and Black beauty and, and um, the importance of supporting those voices. I love this story. I mean, I'm just learning it. But first of all, I love the, uh, love your brand. I love what you're bringing to the space. It's totally different. You're thinking outside the box. And I love the fact that everything just kind of fell right into place just by just going after what you enjoy and, uh, what you wanted into your universe. To me, that is the ultimate, uh, entrepreneurial journey. So I applaud you just at the beginning of this, Thank you. uh, for going towards it and not, worrying about what anybody else is thinking or saying. Um, before we go into the launching of the folklore and, and understanding more about kind of what the process is, what was it like working with some of these traditional uh, magazines or traditional fashion um, locations where, where you have these other ideas out there? Did you experience any type of pushback um, being in that space or was it a lot of just soaking up the process uh, in business and how to operate? Uh, mostly the latter. So I okay. actually, I came in at a time when everyone was like black was in. Okay. So okay. they, gotcha. whenever there was somebody who was black that needed to be interviewed, like that came to me, you know, okay. like I already know. But the thing is, it's like, I'm okay with that because this is what I like to do. You okay. know, a lot of people feel like they don't want to be boxed in and they don't want to be the person who's only writing about black people. I do. Cause those right. are the people who I'm interested in. Those right, are the right. people I've been studying. Those are the people I grew up around. So I felt honored to be the person who they were selecting. Cause I'd much rather be that voice than to have someone who's not us writing about us. So I awesome. really just took my time at those magazines as an experience to one, build my profile because having these you know, highly uh, coveted, you know, roles at these, at these magazines, it really makes a difference in the other spaces that you work in when people hear that you've written for these, these places. And it's definitely helped me leverage, um, you know, a lot of different opportunities, especially when it comes to the folklore of being able to get press from Vogue and Forbes and New York Magazine and all of these in Refinery29, because just me having those connections and me having worked with those people before but I definitely feel like I came in at a time where they really really were like clamoring for black voices you know they wanted to feature all these black designers cultural appropriation was a big thing so I read a lot of articles about cultural appropriation and you know I really just liked that people let me do my thing that they weren't especially as a freelancer it's a little bit different when you were actually working you know full-time somewhere mm -hmm. you especially as like a, just an entry-level person, you don't you usually don't have an, a lot of say unless you actually, you know, make sure that your voice is heard, but right. they're not necessarily looking at you. But even when I was working full-time, I was able to 
you know, within that year that I was at V, I styled a whole shoot by myself that we put on the website and, you know, that featured, you know, now um, this, this uh, group called St. Beauty from Atlanta. They're amazing. Alex and Isis. So I styled them for a shoot, you know, got all of the products from everyone from Philip Lim to, you know, all of these great designers. We had a whole all black woman set or an all black person set, which is awesome. unheard of when right. you know, you're working at a white magazine. The photographer was black, makeup artist was black, the hair and makeup artist was black. You know, we were at this beautiful studio in Soho, like being able to know that I orchestrated that, you know, just within a year of being there and interviewing Samfa. And like, so really when you're going in there, it's like letting people know that you have, you know, value to add, especially when you know that, our culture is of interest and really making sure that you're taking hold of that message and not just allowing them to do that based off, based off of you feeling like it's not your place, you know? So it sounds like a lot of things perfectly aligned for you where, you know, like you said, people were more focused on understanding the black perspective in these different spaces. I, you know, I always heard that maybe it wasn't always like that, but it seems like you came at the right time. Yeah, it definitely wasn't always like that. I, I was definitely uh, privileged enough to come in at that time. That's awesome. So you leveraged the knowledge and the wisdom um, that you, you gathered from those experiences. You launched your own brand. What is that like to go through uh, the, the launching of your, your own e-commerce store and uh, building your own brand out? What, what was that experience like for you? hard yeah <laughs> expensive hey, thank you for the honesty expensive i uh when i first moved out to cape town i didn't know anyone you know i just went found an apartment you know i stayed in airbnb for a few weeks found an apartment and then you know started making friends when i uh started school but i really just started popping up on people on different uh, brands that I'd heard of okay. talking to them, telling them what I wanted to do. And there have been companies that tried to do this in the past. So some people were a little bit skeptical because they'd been burned before. So that made it a bit harder to, to come in, but I felt like it was necessary for me to be there, talk to them, learn from, learn from them. I wanted to know, you know, I'm the, my first time was on, on the continent. I was 20 years old. So I want to make sure that I'm, representing these designers in the way that they'd like to be represented. So asking them, what do they need from an e-commerce partner? You know, what's something that they haven't been getting? What's what, why haven't you been able to distribute globally? You know, the, is it the cost? Is it you not being able to produce as many products as uh, that you are, or is it's like, there are just so many different things. So, you know, flying to Lagos fashion week and, and spending time there and just, you know, I would go to a party and I really, again, leveraged my, my media connection. So I was at Lagos Fashion Week covering it for Mary Claire, South Africa. And so I was able to like, you know, be in all of the rooms that I needed to, and then, you know, do my interview and then say, oh, also, by the way, I'm, you know, launching this company. Right. I'd really like you to be a part of it. So getting in the room that way and just also embracing the culture, like also studying African studies while I'm also talking to people. So getting that context and why certain people design certain ways. And so it was definitely hard. I, you know, was fortunate enough to get a nice little investment from my dad. And then I had saved a lot of money. So just me and my dad's money basically just bootstrapped it, you know, all of the flights, all of the, you know, uh, purchasing of the goods and then really just using my network to really help me save on some costs. So when it, I ended up coming back to, from South Africa midway through my stay there to, you know, do all of the photography around it, to start doing like the press rollout, to do a pop-up shop for our launch. And then, you know, was able to have friends that I went to high school with as the models on the website. And then, you know, oh, people who... Dope people who I uh, went to sleepaway camp with who actually photographed it. And again, I'm working, I'm working on an all black women set. Mm -hmm. And this time it's because of, you know, me, the person who shoots all of our e-commerce images is a black woman. You know, the, the person who produces all of our e-commerce images and all of our editorial images in general is a black woman. So also making sure that not just supporting black designers um, and, no, uh, even though all of our designers aren't black, 
just to be clear i want <laughs> i want to be right, able to right. not you know so like gotcha like i would say 85 percent of them are okay. Okay. but you either have to be um of africa you have to be of african ancestry if you live in the diaspora or you just have to be based on based on the continent and producing on the continent because gotcha. the real the real thing is really giving people opportunities uh, but yeah i want to make sure that i'm really supporting you know our people in every step of the way and that includes who i employ uh, and and um who i have on the site so we launched with 20 brands in september 2018 wow okay so there's a there's a question that just keeps popping in my my mind i have to know mm-hmm. why uh why luxury african brands why, why go why go that direction i mean i think it's brilliant now that mm-hmm. is you've done it you went down the path but at the time, did you are did you know that anyone was doing this, or uh, was this kind of uh, a pioneer move of doing something that never that's never been done before? So now I'd actually see that there were two companies that were doing it. Okay. And I actually discovered them when I was doing the research to start this, and I was like, "Oh, this is so cool! Like maybe I don't even need to do what I'm doing," you know. And then I started following them more, and I started recognizing that there was a flaw in gotcha. their model. And I kind of called their demise before I think they recognized it. Right. And I knew that it wasn't going to work out just from, you know, me doing my research over because these designers still need that space because you have Vogue magazine and CNN and all of these really big magazines who are constantly covering these luxury African brands now because people want something new and right now the luxury industry has been so stifled. People are wearing the same things. You know, people are still stuck on the um, the Louis Vuitton, Gucci. and But a lot of the new kind of uh, alternative things that a lot of these brands are introducing are deeply inspired by these brands. And so why not actually show them the original source, the original archetype to what they're actually, you know, these uh, they're actually wearing from these luxury brands. So I wanted to be able to not only give them a platform to distribute, but a platform to tell their stories, which we do through the editorial section of our, of our website, which is our blog, where we have different interviews with the designers. We're launching a podcast this week called, called Our Folklore, where we're interviewing different designers and also just different musicians, architects, um, uh, designers and people across the diaspora that are really interested in what we're doing and not just, you know, in fashion, but in, in building wealth within uh, the black economy. All right. So you just said something that is sticking out to me. You said, uh, why not go to the source? Are mm-hmm. you telling me that a lot of what we see as luxury brands are in a sense copying these African luxury brands that maybe weren't getting the attention before you came on the scene and you know the couple others that you mentioned before are you saying that uh, a lot of people are taking from uh this style of uh a fashion oh 100 percent and break that down for me break that down there there there's been articles also that have side-by-side runway images of something that you know an African designer did a year two years ago that's now you know front page of you know New York Daily News for New York Fashion Week and you know this is something that not only do luxury brands do but fast fashion brands have been very 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 irresponsible in the way that they you know copy and paste these designers brands Zara is a very big culprit of that but I guess you could say that across the board in, in luxury, they're taken from everybody, every luxury brand. So, wow. um, but yeah, there, there've been so many, you know, designers that even if it's not something that is necessarily would be associated with luxury on the continent, it's taking traditional elements when, the, and that's when we get into cultural appropriation. Uh, when we have people who are on the runway with um, wearing beads that they don't really know the significance of um, or, or, you know, wearing cornrow wigs on top of their heads and 
So there have been so many things that have been taken from the continent and from Black designers in general. You see what happened at Gucci with Dapper Dan finally got his just right. And that's oh after gosh. the backlash, you know? So That took forever. Exa- exactly. So instead of allowing that to play out 25, 30 plus years, you know, let's take over this narrative now. Let's make sure people know where they're seeking inspiration from. Um, that we ha- they do have people who, even though everyone claims that they're ignoring the continent, they're clearly not, you know, ignoring the images coming out of there. They might not be taking a trip, but they're definitely, you know, looking, following these people on Instagram. They're definitely looking at the fat fashion weeks that are happening there. And now some people are starting to actually come out. I remember on Dapper Dan's interview on The Breakfast Club, Charlemagne asked uh, Dapper Dan, why not just partner with uh, luxury black brands. And I think Dapper Dan said something to the effect of uh, they don't necessarily have the infrastructure. And so that's why I work with these brands that I'm currently working with. And maybe I can, uh, you know, potentially, you know, help build up the ones that come after me. Does that sound like an accurate statement to you? Is the infrastructure there? Why aren't more black influencers working with these black luxury brands and African luxury brands? Well, I, I I watched that Breakfast Club interview. Okay. I have mixed feelings about it. You know, he's a legend, so I'm gonna just let I understand. Let me just let leave it at that. But okay. I mean, I I understand where he's coming from because we don't have the resources, we don't have the infrastructure, really. But I think the main reason is because people have that thinking that okay. you know we can't do without the huge budgets that these corporations are putting into campaigns and putting really important to consumers. And so instead of producing millions of quantities of certain things, I think what people need to start focusing on is being able to produce really quality goods and get attracting an audience that's going to actually purchase, you know, because they are burning clothes, you know, uh, all of these luxury houses burn clothes after the season instead of having it marked down or instead of donating them, they burn clothes And it's like, that just shows that this industry is full of waste. And it's because this industry just spends lavishly on, you know, ridiculous things. And so we just have to recognize that we can build without a lot of what they have. It's just being able to trust ourselves and trust our ability to to do that. I think we need to set higher standards for ourselves when people are telling us that, we're not able to build this and we're not able to build that because we don't have X, Y, and Z. I think that, you know, in some ways that that's true, but there are certain things we can build. And if we were to support each other, we would not necessarily need to take their money. Like there are, of course, we'll get to a certain point where it's like, yes, we need partners, we need investors, we need, you know, we need this, we need that. But when you already have a lot of money, it's really about trusting to invest in yourself. Right. You know, so somebody, you know, you know like um, like a celebrity deciding to team up with a luxury, a luxury brand or team up with a fast fashion brand, they're they're doing that more because they don't have the time to build an infrastructure themselves, not right. do, not due to lack of funds. But if you now have the time to build that infrastructure and you have the funds going at it yourself makes a lot more sense to me than to actually take money and team up with these people who are going to really be the ones who are capitalizing off of this. Um, and yeah, you might make a lot of money, but imagine what you could build and make if you were doing it yourself. So I think that we just have to really support each other more. You know, I'm always really, really conscious of like buying products from black, black people. I don't really even buy products not from black people at the moment like I think pretty much my entire closet you know from my makeup buying black owned brands you know um I mean I have Gucci bamboo perfume but other than that like I'm trying to think of like the last purchase that I made that was not from a black owned company you know the food that I consume like I'm really conscious of that because I know that even though I'm only giving them small small amount of money if we were all super conscious of that if we were super conscious of, okay, this is a, a lot of these celebrities will go and spend $3,000, $4,000 on one Gucci piece or one Louis Vuitton piece. And there's a orange culture or a clan or a Tokyo James piece 
that's you know a thousand dollars you'll you'll be one of maybe six or seven people who will have that you're going to stand out you recognize that you're supporting somebody from the continent like being able to really say look look at yourself and say i have a closet full of gucci what is gucci doing for us what what does this do for me I never understood, you know, you, you see these entertainers, these rappers, these, everybody is walking around wearing, quote unquote, you know, white luxury brands for lack mm-hmm. of, a, you know, whatever the, the right terminology is. And it's like, why can't we, I think one of the reasons why I'm really excited about this conversation is maybe people just didn't know about yeah. the African luxury brands. So I'm trying to give them the benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt. And that's true. A lot of people don't know, but when you do now what's your excuse now what you're going so to now do? we we are making it easy we have all of the products in new york so we ship directly from new york so if you place an order on tuesday and you wanted it in la you could have it there by thursday so you're only paying if you place an order it's over 200 dollars. you're not even paying for shipping like we are making it easy now we do pop-up shops around the u.s we, we've popped up in la we've popped up in in new york we've popped up in atlanta so we're here now so what there's there should be no excuse the only excuse that i'm allowing is that you don't know about us yet but when you do you need to be supporting so break this down for me so i can understand the demographics of this we have luxury african brands but where is the majority of uh of sales is it in the united states is it in africa is it where's the majority of sales currently it's in the U.S. Our focus okay. is the U is marketing towards the U.S. Now we do ship internationally. We've shipped to Asia a few times. We've shipped to Europe a few times and Canada, but we are focusing mostly on the U.S. because the U.S. has a strong appetite for luxury goods. Gotcha. We do plan to actually expand it to Europe as well, but we have a very very diverse customer base. We actually. You know, I originally thought that we would have a lot of black customers, like, you know, to make up the majority, but we've had like a really, really diverse group of people who are really interested. And I think it's also based off of the curation. You know, we didn't set out to sell everyone Africa. We're gotcha. selling designers from Africa, you know, gotcha. who have their own stories. So we stay away from like traditional Ankara prints. We're literally just finding designers that, you know, fit to fit my aesthetic a lot of things that are on the, probably 80 percent of the things on the site i would personally wear you know i handpicked everything handpicked every designer that joined the site and it's based off of my travels a, a lot of my travels in asia i go there once i go to a different asian country once a year i'm heavily inspired by what's going on there and then really inspired by the contemporary like modern scene um in south africa so i call it like an afro the Afro-Asian fusion aesthetic that I have when it comes to like the way that, you know, Japanese people wear their pants and those type of like really clean cuts, but then also integrating something um, in it that's uh, inspired by, you know, somebody's traditional heritage on the continent, but is not like a, a, a replica of it. Gotcha. So I think the aesthetic is something that is globally appealing. And that's what I was really you know, conscious to pick things that globally people can relate to and support. Because there are tons of uh, retail companies that have, you know, the Ankara prints that have, you know, the the traditional prints that people love to wear. And I love to see that. But I know I wasn't personally someone who was attracted to those. So it's like, how can I be someone who's supporting these designers and, you know, being able to still stay true to what my style sensibilities are. And then that's when I discover all of these brands who are doing this, you know, who aren't necessarily going after Ankara prints because that's also not their style. That's also not what they're wearing. So being able to say, okay, well, we have, a thri- we have thriving businesses that are selling the traditional wear. Now we can provide this counter narrative and allow, you know, a, a larger uh, quantity of customers to come and, and enjoy and appreciate and support these brands. One of the things you mentioned earlier that I I, I made sure I, I circled on my, my notes here, you talked about uh, in the very beginning when you were about to launch uh, the e-commerce site, the brand and let everybody know, uh, no, hey, I'm here. This is what we're doing. 20 different brands. You made sure you went and actually spoke to the designers and had conversations with them, figuring out, well, what are they, what are they missing? What do they need? So to me, that's called, you know, called a, uh, 
you know, the market research and finding what the root problem is uh, for entrepreneurs and investors who uh, may be looking to launch new projects. How, why was that so important to kind of diagnose what the problem was before actually launching? It was important because again, I'm coming in from a place of ignorance. You know, I grew up in New Jersey, not being exposed to Africa other than, you know, we put y'all on some boats and, you know, that was the beginning, you know, everyone kind of, when we were learning about history, our history began on a boat, you know, or our history began on the shores leading up to, you know, the march to the boat. So I needed to, one, understand the continent that I wanted to work uh, work in and then understand the people and then understand the industry that, the, that you know, I'm uh, circling. So I really, everything was a learning experience. I didn't want to go in there and tell them this is what you need to do. I know how it works in the U.S. I needed to craft a plan that you know, still allowed us to operate and do business with, with global retailers and global consumers, but still actually address the needs and address the limitations that designers on the continent have. So in order to, in order to learn that, I had to ask, ask them, you know, I couldn't just assume. So having conversations and being on the phone for hours and, you know, when I come to Lagos, Tokyo is picking me up and we're jamming to Missy Elliott for three hours when we're stuck in traffic, like really, you know, becoming friends with the, the designers that I work with and, you know, being able to not just learn about fashion from them, but about culture, about race, about, you know, how, how they feel about experience. I think everyone should have like having that intimate connection with the people that they want to uh, work with, I think was, I couldn't have done it if I didn't actually go out and speak to them. I also needed them to trust me. I needed them to know that I was there, you know, not just to sell some clothes for them, you know, but to really partner with them and help and help them grow. So we offer services way beyond just distribution and wholesale. When, you know, when bio called me up and, or when bio texted me and said he was trying to do a show for New York fashion week, we put together a show sponsored by Cavassier in 10 days because the people who were supposed to do it backed out. So knowing that like, okay, this is, you know, a brand that I believe in so much. And even though this is outside the bounds of what we typically do, like, you know, bio, I got you, let's figure this out. And we were able to co-produce that in 10 days and had, you know, 200 plus people come out for a three day event, you know, Um, and each day having that like volume of people. So I really, you know, like building those relationships and letting them know that this is a partnership um, that goes both ways. You know, that's always big, a a big topic that we bring up on the podcast a lot. This thing, strategic partnerships can really um, elevate you a lot faster than trying to go at it alone. And so you you are a living example um, of that. But I did hear a Missy Elliott reference. I know everybody else heard this too. Mm-hmm. How much is black culture impacting African culture uh, from, from your studies? And how much is African culture impacting, uh, quote unquote, black American culture? Are you seeing any similarities there? Yeah, it was actually crazy when I first got, when I first left America and moved to Cape Town, there was I was never going to a party in here in Afro beats. Like you would have to go to the actual parties that were playing Afro beats that, you know, happen once a month or something like that, or that she would only find in Flatbush or something. Right. And I remember like being exposed to all this music, having no knowledge of Afro beats and Afro house and like I'm a piano and all of this stuff. And so I started building these playlists and now I'm listening to this music all the time and I get back to New York <laughs> and I remember going to this party at Hudson Terrace and they're playing DeVito all of a sudden. Right, and right. I'm like, wait, y'all know this song? <laughs> I was like, because we were not on this just a few months ago. And just to see how quickly the music is, uh, you know, translated to, I mean, a lot of these artists were, have been huge for years, but to right. see, you know, now this influx of Afrobeats artists and, you know, you know, all different types of genres, like Burna Boy is played everywhere now. Right. So there's definitely an influence here now in the music. You got Drake, you know, 
doing his thing. Uh-huh. He, <laughs> you know? he basically saw the wave and jumped on it. Exactly, which is like I don't blame you because you know the music is so smart, good, and it's so and it's so pure. Mm-hmm. And you know, of course, people in you know on the continent are impacted by you know black american music you know when i went and i started talking to people like you know 50 cent and i'm like 50 cent <laughs> I don't, like i'm the black american girl so i should know 50 cent like know everybody ask, right yeah so it's like yeah they were like so they they love uh soldier boy for some yeah. reason i every time i went to a club they had what's the soldier what's the one crank uh, that or whatever crank that yeah yeah crank that plays every night no matter what club i'm at wow and it i was blown and i was like this song is so old crank that always plays they're really really into old r&b mm-hmm. so like i remember getting in an uber once and him telling me like his favorite artist is brandy and we're like listening to old school brandy <laughs> like they're really you know because th- this music is universal yeah so they're definitely influenced and they even have like in south africa they have like a trap like sound of their own mm-hmm. um that's you know interesting i don't like trap music in general so like but um yeah it's like the it's it's so it's there you know because yeah. even now listening to more african music and now hearing that there are elements of that in american music that i didn't hear before and like you know being exposed to fela now and just like you know miriam miriam makiba and it's there black people universally like we are the same it's so funny just like hearing people's parents talk mm-hmm. hearing like discipline that people have received like jokes like south african twitter is hilarious like it just globally we are the same people right. we are living same experiences and it's just it's really cool to see that we're now learning each other and seeing how similar we are that's awesome. Um, something else I, I, that I've noticed, um, like you were saying, it's not just the, the music, but then it's also how we kind of kind of view uh, our family structures. I remember being on a, uh, a call recently with someone who's from Africa and they were telling me, hey, I'm not sure how it is there, but, you know, in our families, you know, we're not allowed to speak until the the elders have all spoken first. And, uh, you know, that's the way that we approach, uh, you know, our family structures. And sometimes um, it, it would be nice if the younger generation was heard more. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, that sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do want to respect, you know, the older generation, but there's things that we may know from, you know, being kind of the, the middle child uh, generation and then the younger generation, there may be things that both sides can teach one another. And uh, it would be nice if we could be more open-minded to be able to do that. Yeah, no, I be- I definitely believe that. And uh, yeah, I hear that across the board where it's like, yeah, no, my mama also said to uh, <laughs> to uh, to uh, be uh, seen, not heard. I'm like, right. okay, all right. Definitely. So I'm looking at uh, shop uh, the folklore.com. Yes. And people are listening to this episode and they're, they're, they're blown away. And by your experiences, your journey, when I go to the website, what do I find? What, what, what am I going to find on a, on a daily basis when I go into the website? Beautiful images. That's like my thing. I love creating great content. So we have, you know, we have the products, of course. We are now uploading new products once a week. So we'll have new uploads on Wednesdays, okay. which is the same day that our podcast drops. And make sure to subscribe to our email list because we also, you get 10% off your first purchase when you do that. Okay. We also give special discounts to people who um, subscribe to our email list. So we always have, you know, Wednesday email that's going to go out and tell you about the blog, the blogs posts that we have out this week too. So we always are constantly, you know, collaborating with influencers and, and celebrities and models to do, you know, different profile pieces because we really, you know, we're not just a place to to sell sell products, but to deliver stories. Uh, you'll see, you know, video content. We're now building out video content more. You'll see homewares. We have we just started uh, working with different homework uh, brands. There's a brand called Studio Badge that I'm obsessed with, based out of Ghana. 
we just post published an article about the founder of that Leone, who's just like this super brilliant, you know, architect. You'll find, you know, men's apparel and accessories right now. Men's is lacking, but okay. we have a lot I was, of. I was gonna ask. We have a lot of spring summer stuff coming for men. Just okay. being a woman, it's hard for me to really like pinpoint what men like. So I you definitely can always just send me an email and I'll let yeah, you know. So I, I got your back. I literally have group chats with my guy friends now and just send them these things and I tell them the heart what they like and you know yes. and these aren't fashion guys they're just like guys who I'm like I mean just tell me what you like because I don't throw know. me in there I, yeah I uh, that's that's really really what I need I need a male like group of guys who are just like mm-hmm. my focus group um, so we're having a lot of a lot of new um, men stuff is coming in for spring okay. summer. We have a lot of women's stuff. We really focus on pieces that are standout pieces that you're not going to find these styles other places. 80% of the brands we work with were the one, only ones that sh- stock them outside of the continent too. So knowing that we usually only buy very minimal piece, min- minimal quantities for each size too. So sometimes we'll only buy one of each. So we'll do one small, one medium, one large. Um, and just, you know, and that's just for now as we grow and as we, you know, see more of a demand, we're of course going to create, create more, but in September, you know, our plan is to really double the amount of brands that we have on the site and double the, the quantity that we have on the site and really make it an experience that, you know, people are excited to know that there's a, there's new products on the folklore every week and that, you know, they are able to get their hands on it and it doesn't like immediately sell out because that's something that some people complain about like you got one medium and it sold out i'm like you gotta be quicker than that like you saw the email when it comes out on wednesday you gotta be there ready exactly y'all slept on it (laughs) i told y'all i was posting all on instagram right so act fast so you're talking about doubling the brand so Mm -hmm. i'm sure brands are going to somehow some way find out about this episode they want to listen in they're going to want to be a part of this movement uh we all know that everything is trending in this direction so if you want to you know really be in the luxury space uh now's the time uh to to be in there mm-hmm. how do a how does a luxury african brand uh get your attention and be part of that curation so we get a lot of emails now i would say out of the emails we get two percent three percent of those we actually end up taking on five i'll say five percent we actually end up taking on majority of the brands though i find you know or someone tells me about them there have been times where i've opened up an email and been like oh okay cool like let's talk but i i think also it's just like coming correct like if you're gonna send me an email you need to have your line sheet have the story you know have images that is attached to it. Cause I don't want to have to, some people will just send me an email, be like, Hey, I do this. They don't got a link to Instagram. Don't got a link to anything. And I'm just like, all right, so I can't do anything with this. Right, um, right. Or somebody will come in who does nothing but on car prints or, or like traditional wear. Right. And I'm like, all right, so you just didn't even see what's on the site or read what's on the site or they'll right. come in and they they're selling things for 40, $30. I'm not selling things for 30, uh, $30, $40. And that's not saying, oh, you're not good enough. That's saying we're not the platform for you. And there's so many other platforms that would be great for you. That would be way better exposure for you. And that you could probably make a lot of money from because you could really go direct to consumer because they're more so marketplaces. Um, so just making sure that you know what, what you're, we're about doing your research. And that goes not just for the folklore, but for any retailer you're pitching making sure that your products would actually align with the their current um product offering so definitely making sure that like if you're going to approach have your line sheet together these are things that you could do for little to no money get your friend to put on your products you know google how a line sheet is made take some take some professional looking photos against a white background or against a you know cool little setting have that, you know, so that they have the retail, recommended retail price, they have the wholesale price, send that in the email along with a short blurb about what this company does, your current stock is, and really making sure that your, your, um, 
making your email something that is appealing to the person you're sending it to. And that's not just for me, that's across the board. I get a lot of pitches because I still freelance right on the side. I get a lot of pitches like, yo, can you just write about my song? I'm just like, bro, what's your song called, sir? Like, you didn't, yeah, <laughs> you didn't right. even tell me the name of your song. Like, we got to make sure we're coming correct in whatever mm-hmm. we do. No, definitely. I think presentation um, is really key whenever you're trying to build a relationship. So you don't have to have someone who's still left with a million questions of, you know, exactly who you are, what you represent. That should all be um, clearly um put out there uh, outlined for the person so you can streamline the process so they can make a quick decision if this is really what they want to do. But if I got to go dig and try mm-hmm. to find out, you know, wh- who you are, what you, nobody got time for that. We ain't got, we, we got businesses to run. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to hear that. And then on the other side, are there particular types of companies that you are interested in partnering with uh, globally that would uh, add uh, significant value uh, to your company and your e-commerce store? So Nordstrom, you know, if you're out here listening, um, <laughs> I just, you know, just, you know, just hit a player up. Um, okay. Because that's something that we really want to work on is establishing a relationship with one of the larger department stores. Okay. okay. So that instead of the folklore spending a lot of money and opening brick and mortar stores around the country to kind of operate the same way that Topshop has. Right. Where there's a Topshop section in every Nordstrom and you know you can go to Nordstrom and shop items from Topshop. We want people to be able to go to Nordstrom and know that there's a folklore section at Nordstrom that's curated with the luxury brands that we work with. Gotcha. So that's definitely uh, in the expansion card. So I'm, I love Nordstrom. So that's like my preference. I mean, I'm not going to discount Saks or Bloomingdale's or any of the other ones, but okay. like when I tell you Nordstrom is like, I love Nordstrom. That's okay. Been like my I, thing. I'll keep that in mind when I come up there, uh, up North. Um, yeah. no, definitely. I will. Yeah, I love Nordstrom. So. Now, now, so we and, mentioned, um, what else? We mentioned we definitely Nordstrom. With more. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Keep going. So we definitely want to partner with companies like Nike too, you know, to mm. have um, a, a Nike capsule where we're working with the folk was working with five of our brands to come out with like a cool shoe. I like that. Um, th- I, I know Jordan brand recently released a shoe with um, a brand from the diaspora. I actually did an interview Mason Chateau. Uh, I can't remember the, the last part of it, but Mason Chateau, they're a really cool brand out of Paris. And I uh, wrote the article for Jordan Brand's website, and I really, you know, enjoyed um, being able to learn about, you know, how that, how that um, collaboration came about. But you know, doing things like that to not only, you know, broaden the brand image, but to also like th- those partnerships are where the money's at. You know, like right. luxury brands, yeah, they're making things, but when you have the when Jason Wu partners with Target, those are the money makers. Yes. And so just making sure that, you know, we can flood these designers with a lot of money in those ways. Um so when we think about, you know, s- sneaker collaborations with like a Puma, Nike, uh, partnering with more retailers, also you know, partnering more with these fashion weeks globally who are making sure that these brands can show globally. And um, partnering with like these liquor companies, we, we've been doing that a lot, partnering okay. with them to curate experiences because we have built such a strong community and we want to be able to continue hosting like great events and dinners and pop-up shops and different exper- experimental, you know, uh, retail installations so that we can gather those community of people and, and um, really present something that people are going to enjoy and they're going to anticipate when we're the folklore is coming to their city. Um, so there, there's so many different like things that I want to partner with. Museums have been really like a big focus for us because we say our customers like the person who's out, you know, at museums on the weekend, who's really into reading literature. So we have on our blog recently, we just did seven books by African authors that you need to read. Now we'll do, you know, six best galleries in Senegal, like, we know we have an elevated clientele where these are people who, you know, we consider intellectuals who like learning. And that doesn't mean, oh, they graduated from Harvard. And so those, no, we mean people who just have a passion for, for learning and have a passion for investing in things that have some sort of cultural significance um, that people who, you know, really believe in sustainability 
people who are forward thinkers. So we want to be able to collaborate more with museums. We work with the Museum of Contemporary African Diaspora and Art in Brooklyn a lot. Mm -hmm. They're great partners of ours. Well, we work with them. We want to definitely be able to, you know, do pop-up shops in different installations in, in different African-themed museums around the world. And not just African-themed museums. We want to be able to go into the MoMA and do something with it. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. go into the Whitney and do something with them. So really going and knowing this is where our customer is and creating a cool experience and exposing them to something that they haven't had the opportunity to be exposed to. I love it. I love it. Now, this is going to be a tough question. Maybe the toughest question uh, of the episode. Out of all the countries you've been to, all the different cities you've been to in, in the, uh, the continent of Africa, what has been your favorite or maybe your top two or three? This is going to be a um, a controversial. Okay, let's do it. Answer. Let's do it. That's what we're here for. It's Cape Town, but hold on. Okay, okay. All right, and a lot of people will tell you that South Africa ain't Africa. That's I have heard that. I've heard that. <laughs> a lot of people will tell you that South Africa ain't Africa. When they go there, all they see is white people in Cape Town. Blah blah blah. Uh huh. I get that. Okay. But the Cape Town that I was living in was different than that. Like okay. my buildings and stuff that I, you know, that I stayed in, probably mostly white folks. But the people who I engaged with, the people who I was with, like they were all black South Africans born and raised in South Africa, you know? Okay. So I think when you're going there as a tourist and you don't have people who are on the ground, you're going to have a very, very white European experience. But I've been around, you know, the Western Cape, the Eastern Cape. You know, I've been to my friends' homes for the holidays. And there's, there are, in no way they're less African than any per person in West Africa or Central Africa. I think that it's kind of wrong just based off of the fact that they were deeply colonized. Yes. Um, African enough. Um, but I have not experienced that. I think even just in Johannesburg, Johannesburg is very black. Like when I, when I really just want to be like surrounded by black folks, I'll take a weekend in Johannesburg and I have the best time in Johannesburg. But again, you know, I think with Cape Town, it's because I've built a community of people there that I love so much. And also just like the scenery, like I've never seen a place that's so beautiful. So to be able mm. to go hiking with my like and I never went hiking before when I was going when I went there my friends are all trying to go hiking I was like that's some white people stuff right. and then they're like they're like nah we also like going hiking with my black friends I was like this is never something I would do in the U.S. like literally just having like these like really extensive debates they're really passionate about race and um, decolonization and like it's just empowering to see that you know they're only what is it 25 years or 20 oh let me not lie apartheid ended in 94 i don't know it ended 20 in 90, something yeah 20 something uh years away from um a past apartheid mm -hmm. and they're still you know in 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 doing the good fight there it passed from one generation to the next generation so i think that once people get to know more about south africa um they will understand why I come for that part. But I love me some Lagos. I'm in Lagos okay. often. I love me. I went to Accra for the first time. Um, and, you know, I loved Kenya. So, you know, it's just Cape Town is just where I spent the most of my time and it's where I've built my community. But I, um, I love, I'm, I have not gone to an African country that I have not loved and enjoyed and had a good time. Now, of course, I'm going to be visiting all these places, so I'm going to contact you before I go, so yes, I get all the scoops. Yes. Now, I keep hearing that I need to go to Morocco. That's what I, I thought you were going to say, Morocco. Did I haven't Mor been to Morocco. Oh, I thought, I thought you mentioned it. Or maybe we it have a design. designer out there, but I haven't had the opportunity to go to Morocco. Okay. And Morocco is a different experience because it's North Africa. Right. Uh, so I would imagine that my experience in Morocco is going to be di a different type of feeling that I'm going to get than when I'm in West Africa. If you know the hookups, if you if you <laughs> find out about uh, Morocco, let me know, because I keep hearing that's where I need to go. I definitely yeah, want yeah. to go to South Africa as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I'll, I'll keep both of those uh, in mind. Yes. So for uh, the listeners, the entrepreneurs, the investors who are listening, and they're, uh, first of all, maybe potential customers, 
um, you know, where can they go to, uh, to find out more about your products? And then if they want to partner with you and uh, form some type of strategic partnerships, what is the best avenue to do that? Okay. So you can definitely go and support us by like, going on a product clicking add to cart you know putting in your information you know then doing the whole checkout process uh because money is what uh makes the world go around cream cash rules everything around me you know That's right. so um but yeah outside of just going on our website shop the folklore.com and supporting that way you can also make sure that you're following us on instagram and Twitter and Facebook at the folklore. We're really good about posting content daily on those on those platforms. We in terms of partnerships, we are definitely we're raising capital right now. So investors, if you hear, you know, uh, we're taking angel investors. We also are uh, speaking with VCs, but we definitely want to be able to take this to the next level and beyond e-commerce and wholesale. We have a big growth plan that we're working on that if you are an investor i would be willing to send you my deck you can send us an email at contact at the folklore.us contact i'm sending an email right now contact yeah. contact at the folklore.us okay. uh, for you know investors who may be interested in exploring this opportunity and learning more about what we're doing beyond e-commerce and wholesale okay and on the partnership side if you're a designer who's interested and you've heard what i've what I mentioned about, you know, what we're looking for, definitely send us an email uh, at that same email address. And then people who are like, work at these like cool companies who are like, ooh, let's figure out a way to do a capsule collection with J. Crew and, you know, um, whatever other brand that we're working with, like right, definitely right. hit that email. I look through that email often. So, you know, we really, really also want to make sure that we're getting the community involved and making sure we're getting these clothes on celebrities and we're getting them on influencers and that we're really making sure that this isn't a place where you just buy one-offs that you're going on and you're constantly, you know, supporting these brands that these, this is the place that you, you know, are frequenting when you, you are thinking about, oh, I want to go shopping today. Right. Um, is we need, a, we need support. So even if you don't have the money to go and buy a $350 skirt, that's fine. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I get it, sis. So if right. you can't do that, what you can do is you can follow us on Instagram, follow us on LinkedIn, tell people about it and, you know, really help us grow not only um, financially, but socially because those Instagram likes and those Instagram followers matter now to investors and they matter to, you know, a lot of different people when it comes to um, pitching them to collaborate with us. So Support, 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 and not don't just support my business, support black businesses in general. Like I cannot emphasize that enough. It is difficult. You will have conversations with investors who are not black who will say, We don't understand why your sales are like this. They should just be more and they don't understand the different factors that go into, you know, being a uh, black female founder and being able to get the support. And then they're saying, Oh, well if you're not hitting those numbers it's pre because you don't have a, you don't have people who actually want it. And it's, that's not necessarily true. It's just being able to really garner that support and, and emphasize why it's important to show that support and not just say, Oh, I'll do it later or I'll do it. Or, or mm, I'm gonna buy this Gucci bag instead of that, because you know, Gucci is good, you know, make sure right. that we're supporting each other now. Like there's black owned, um, there's black owned, you know, coffee places. There's black owned, like, just be conscious about supporting black owned businesses. Also, for anyone traveling uh, on the continent, my friend Sheree has Tastemakers Africa. Definitely use that to book your experiences. I think it's tastemakers.com. Great place to be able to connect with local people who actually um, will host you on different experiences. So it could be a cooking class, it could be you know, a, a number of different things, but they offer these great tours and these great private classes. Um, right now they're, they're in Cape Town, Johannesburg, Accra, and a few other places, and they're expanding a lot. So 
that's another business uh, person from the diaspora who started a company that's Africa focused and definitely support that as well. That's awesome. You need to tell Sharada to, to, to jump on the podcast. I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her to send her this episode. Okay. Yeah. Let, let her know. I would love mm-hmm. to speak with her, learn about her story, her journey. Uh, cause I'm going to need everything that you're talking about, I'm going to be using. So yeah. like I'm, I'm on the website now, whenever you find the designer, who's going to hook me up with my, uh, luxury African watch, that's yeah. what, that's, that's what Ooh, I'm here for. I think about that. See, I haven't even looked at watch. You and I are going to talk. We're going to okay. talk after we're okay. going to talk. Cause I, I know what I, I know what I need. So if mm-hmm. you can curate that experience for me, then I know there's probably, a uh, huge sector of of people uh, behind me that will love that as well. And as a potential investor, mm-hmm. there's that there's that room for growth that I'm seeing, especially on the the men's side. That hey, if if you get the men's side too, as far as the the watch and mm-hmm. some of the other things that I have in mind, ooh, next level. Uh, so I'm definitely excited about uh, learning more. Um, I'm going to uh, send the information out about the pitch deck and I look forward to seeing how we can uh, support you not only as a, as a business, but also as an investor. So we definitely have your back. Um, thank you so much for coming on the black equity podcast. Is there any final thoughts uh, that you have for uh, all, all the people that are listening? Um, just, you know, shop the folklore.com support black business and I'm rooting for everybody black. So, you know, all that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amara, for being on the Black Equity Podcast. The doors are open for okay. you to come back in the future. Awesome. Uh, new initiatives. If something new is coming out, just come come back through and let's have that conversation. Also, uh, before we go, you said the podcast is dropping on what date and how can they find the podcast? The podcast is dropping Wednesday, March 18th, and it will be available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and uh, SoundCloud. So you can uh, sign up for our email, uh, our email newsletter and you'll get a notification when it's live and it's also going to be premiering on Bustle. So you'll be able to read an article. Uh, the first podcast will actually be the live audio from a panel that we did for New York Fashion Week about globalizing African brands. So you'll actually be able to hear from one of the designers that we speak with, um, that we work with. You'll be able to hear from a designer who works for one of the major U.S. luxury companies and then two fashion editors, one from GQ and one from New York Magazine. So, Thank you so much, Amara. Thank you for being on the Black Equity Podcast. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. We are truly grateful for today's guest. If you are interested in becoming an approved Black Equity strategic partner with this company or one in the past, simply send us an interest inquiry to the following email. DJM at DJMotri.com. Once again, DJM at DJMotri.com. Let us know your name, your company, your services, and which guests you are interested in partnering with. As an approved partner, you will have exclusive access to our network and have first opportunity at future partnerships as well. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to join us on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast.